Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. It's a big phrase, self. It's a big word, self. There's actually a phrase that's fairly historical, made popular by Socrates, and then uh, Plato used it as well, but it was on the gates of an ancient god that it simply said this phrase, two words, and it's on the screen, simply this, know thyself. Know thyself. It was this idea that um, when you come before the gods, don't come with arrogance. You better know thyself before you wreck thyself. (laughs) You, You need to really understand who you are when you come before the gods. That was the idea. It was an ancient Greek idea, and Socrates used this in in a a few different ways. And and over the course of history, it's been used in a bunch of different ways and said a bunch of different ways, and at times used in, well, not the right way. It's a big phrase, and we would all, to some degree, agree with that phrase. We should know ourselves. We should understand who we are. We should get an understanding of our self. But that kind of bears the question, what is self? What is self? If you study psychology, you'll begin to discover there are all kinds of thoughts around what this means. What does this word self actually mean? The basic dictionary definition is to say a person's essential being that distinguishes them from others, especially considered as the object of introspection or reflexive action. In other words, you don't really begin to get an idea of self until you begin to get an idea of others. It is hard to understand that you are a self until you realize that others are also selves and that you are a self in the midst of selves and that there's something going on here. It is why our obsession with self and our obsession with being on our own at, once, at one time, a very helpful thing and in being individualistic and going for it has become a bit of a crutch because we've stopped understanding that to understand ourselves, we also have to understand others. You don't really begin to understand that you are on your own and you are a self until you're about three or four months when you begin to realize that when people smile, you, you smile back and you smile at them and they smile back and you're realizing that you're interacting with the world. It's a pretty big concept. If I said, what is self? There's a lot of different ways to define it, a lot of different ways to say it, but it's a big question. In psychology, it would just be the, the, it's actually said this way, the self-concept. It's a general term used to refer to how someone thinks about, evaluates, or perceives themselves. To be aware of oneself is to have a concept of oneself, which is a really, that's not even almost a helpful understanding of self. To use the word in the definition is a bit challenging. Okay, what is self? Well, it's to have a view of self. Well, I don't know what self is. Self-esteem, self-image, self-worth, self-improvement, self-care, self-awareness. We have all kinds of selves today. Some of them are pretty cheap versions. I don't mean that in the sense that your self is cheap. It means that our view of what those words actually mean are cheap. To do self Self-improvement, to do self-care, to do those things is actually a pretty deep work. It's very hard to do those at a shallow level. It's why we keep doing them over and over again. Wondering why when we're done, we have to keep going back. It is, it is so many, in so many ways like a diet. Because we didn't do the deep work, 
It doesn't mean you can't do the shallow work. I'm just simply saying you can't always swim in the deep end. Like, please understand that. It's not healthy. It's not good. But there is these places in your life where what does it mean to be my self? Carl Rogers, around 1959, psychologist, says this, believes, Carl Rogers believes that the self-concept has three different components. The view you have of yourself, so that would be self-image, how much, you value, how much value you place on yourself, so that would be self-esteem or self-worth, and what you wish you were really like, the ideal self. How many of you got all three of those running around in your life right now? Every day, you're punching one of them, right? Every day, you're hugging one of them, but you're like, I, wait, self-esteem. Okay, I got that, but I don't even know who I am, and then I'm trying to figure out self-image, and then, and then all of a sudden, I got this ideal self that pops in and goes, why aren't you better? My grandfather used to say this right, and dad told me if I do it wrong. But every man has three versions of themselves. The man they think they are, the man others think they are, and the man who they really are. Did I say it right? My dad gives me gold stars, so I'm, I'm excited for <laughs> But here's the caveat. Here's the caveat, and this is the challenging part. These things do not necessarily have to reflect reality. Indeed, a person with anorexia who is thin may have a self-image in which that person believes they are not. There's now filters on Instagram, TikTok. You seen these? Where if you if you if you I saw one the other day. I don't I don't do Instagram. And uh, and where if you just put your, the right side of your face is how other people see you. The left side is how you see yourself. Or, or you do the one side, and then all of a sudden you come back and you go, oh, that's what I look like. I remember watching a, a guy who had gotten a, an inverted mirror so that you look through a mirror at a mirror, and you actually see the way others will see you. And you would watch on people's faces as they see what other people see, the way they see. And they would go, oh, my gosh, that's so different than I really actually thought. See, the self-concept is not always aligned with reality. When it is aligned, it's said to be congruent. If there is a mismatch between how you see yourself and who you wish you were, your self-concept is incongruent. This leads to negatively impacting your self-esteem. One quote says this, The great philosophical skeptic David Hume puzzled about self. He says this, For my part, when I enter most intimately into what I call myself. He wrote this in 1739. I always stumble on some particular perception or other of heat or cold, light or shade, love or hatred, pain or pleasure. I never catch myself at any time without a perception and never can observe anything but the perception. See, the problem with this obsession with self is that we are the masters of self-deception and self-delusion. It is not always what other people say about us. It is often what we say about ourselves. It is the way we view ourselves. 94% of university presidents thought that they were better than their colleagues. 90% of people on dating apps rated themselves better looking than average. Every single state in the country submitted test scores that were higher than the average. That's actually not mathematically possible. We are awesome at convincing ourselves 
of something that isn't true. We're incredible at it. And not only that, we kind of like it. Sometimes we just, we get into a place where, what's up, Nolan? How you doing, dude? Sorry if you're seeing this on camera. Wozner's little grandbaby's here on vacation, and I'm excited. It's awesome. He tried to come up and preach. But we are really good. We are really good at convincing ourselves of either the negative or the positive. Convincing ourselves of the things that are true or aren't true. It leads us into a place where we put ourselves at the center of everything. I was reading an article about what's the problem with self-obsession. Or what's the problem with being obsessed with self-obsession? What's the problem with us pointing out that our culture might be becoming a little bit narcissistic? And the writer says this. He says, obsessed with self-obsession, or sorry, but the truth is, murkier than I, than I, than I believe. In my past, attachments to people with high levels of grandiosity, okay, said that in a polite way, I was able to comfortably sidestep my own. I never had to feel my own narcissism while, I was be, while it was being so expertly acted out around me. I could simply point my finger, as many of us now do, and there it was for all to see, but not, of course, in me. In other words, he's saying when I was around people who were really good at the narcissism thing and self-obsession and self, when they were when I was with them, it was okay to kind of sidestep it because they were the ones obsessed with themselves and they were doing it at a very grandiose level. But when they were when they were taken away and out of my life, all of a sudden I realized, okay, I think some things about myself too. And narcissism doesn't necessarily mean that you're always good about yourself. It just means that you think a lot about yourself. And again, this is not to say that anything about self-awareness or self-improvement or, or any of those things, self-reflection, are bad. I actually don't think that. I don't think that at all. In fact, in the story we read today, it was necessary for what we end up with in the prodigal, in the prodigal son and the dad. It is necessary for some self-reflection. So this is not this idea to somehow get rid of all those things. It is to understand that those things are meant to lead you to a place, not to be the destination themselves. And we have so many things that are meant to be tools and vehicles that we have turned into destinations and ideals. And when we do that, we, we actually invert the process and we end up at a place where we can't fix anything. So we show up at the prodigal son. and We show up at a story where Jesus is telling three different stories. He tells the story of the lost sheep. He tells the story of the lost coin. And he tells the story of the lost son. All three of them are lost in different ways and found in different ways. All of them speak to a different characteristic of who God is. All of them, they'll also speak to the same desire of God, and that is that he would find you and you would know who you are and that there would be rejoicing in heaven for doing so. So it's the same message, but there's different kind of variations of the story. And so we find the prodigal, one of the most important stories ever told, and it's an important, important thing. In fact, Rembrandt, one of his most famous paintings is of the prodigal son. You can look it up. So I looked up a few different artwork, art pieces on this. In fact, in the background there, you see one. That's the son clutching the father, saying, I'm not worthy of this. Rembrandt's probably the most famous. If you look that up, that's the one you're going to find. But the one that struck me was this one. I want to show you this, this artist's rendering of the prodigal son. Done in gold leaf, Grace Carol Bomber says this. Now, this, this is a woman that the... the the, the, this is a cancer patient she saw on a, on a magazine ad while sitting in the hospital. She saw on a magazine ad, she said, that, 
That represents something. And so she began this process of trying to come up with a way in which we could show this. She shows the shining a little bit more in the son and the father. And then you notice this little tattoo here in the arm and also on the beard of the father. And it's this idea that it actually says, yours is mine and mine is yours. That I am my beloved's and my beloved's is mine. She's trying to come across here that realizing that we are in love with one another. I love you. I care for you. There's this deep desire, this deep want. I remember listening to one preacher who said, I've never preached on the prodigal son because I can't preach it without weeping. One preacher who looked at the Rembrandt painting, every time he sees it, he cries. Because it is meant to. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to you and I. That when we come into this place where we understand what this means, it breaks open everything we thought of ourselves. And so you have this prodigal son. He's the son of a rich man. He's got the robes, he's got the sandals, he's got all the stuff. He is Isaiah 61 that we've been reading over ourselves during this time of Lent. He is Isaiah 61. That's what he is. He's got all the stuff. He's not in the ashes part. He's got the beauty. He's got the garments of praise. He's got the oil of joy. He's got all that stuff, no, all that stuff, no ruins, just a built-up city, and he's doing well. The prodigal son is in that place. And he says to his father, he says, give me my inheritance. And this is what that ultimately essentially means. Can you go ahead and die already? N.T. Wright would have made the observation that if you were to ask a father before he passes away, if you were to ask a father for your inheritance, it is like saying, I'm, I'm just ready to move on from whatever this is. Clearly, the son didn't think highly of the situation he was in. The, son, the father actually says, okay. It's much of an insult. In that culture, this would, have been, this would have been one of the highest insults you could possibly have, that you wanted to leave my covering, you wanted to leave my house, take your inheritance, and move on. And in fact, the father is a bit generous, because in most places, the oldest son would get two-thirds, and the youngest son would get one-third. And what does it say? It says the father divided it in half and gave it to the younger son. No wonder the older son has a little bit of a problem later on. He wasted, all, he wasted at least some of mine. And the son takes it into the world. It says he does all these things. Wasteful is the word that's ultimately used. Wasteful spending. See, that's kind of this picture of sin. Sin is wasteful. I know we want to think about it as all these other things. And, 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 and we all like to think that this guy was out with prostitutes. And that's only because the older son says so. But we don't actually know that. There's, there's no admittance of that. It just means that he was out doing his own thing, living off the inheritance of the Father, somewhat like many of our culture, or what, what our culture tends to do. We've, we've been given something, and we don't know how to handle it because we haven't, didn't have to fight for it in the way previous generations did. So there's this kind of, this idea of wasteful spending. I'm just kind of letting it go. I'm just letting it fly. I don't care where it ends up, how it goes, or I don't care. And he ends up in a place where he's eating the pig's food. He has to go get a job because he's wasted it all. And he spends it all, and he has to go get a job feeding pigs. And somewhere along the way, while feeding pigs, he decides he should eat alongside them. Because nobody's giving me anything. Remember, his father had given him everything. And now he's in a spot with wasteful living where he's saying, no one will give me anything. And it says this phrase, and I love this phrase. Other translations will say he came to his senses. A couple translations say it like this. The one we read today says it like this. And he came to himself. He came to himself. 
he realized something about himself in this moment. He goes, even the servants in my father's house don't eat like this. And he comes to himself through a process that was not enjoyable. I just want to tell you, sometimes you're in, a, you're in a difficult season, a difficult place. Please let me just encourage you. I'm not saying that God put you in that place. This story does not connotate that at all. The son put him in that place. But, but understand this, that God in those places can also use it that you might come to yourself and realize that this isn't who you're created to be. This, wasn't, this isn't what you're made for. But what does this son do? The son goes, I need to go back to my father and tell him that I'm not worthy even to be your what? Son. So he, let's get this, let's get this right, right? We just, I just told you all the, the different determining factors of what we define self as. He leaves his house thinking one way about himself. Pretty good about himself, actually. Pretty arrogant to go, just give me all the inheritance. I'll go do something really good with it. I'll be good. I got this. I can handle this. And then he ends up at the pigstock, and he comes to himself, and now it's a very different version of himself. This is not the same self that left the house. This is the self that's no longer in the house. And he's discovering some things about himself. In both cases, let me just throw this out to you. In both cases, he's wrong. At both times, he's not right. Now some of you go, wait, no, no, no. He came to himself and wanted to go repent. No, that was good. But as we carry out the story, what do we realize? That his view that he was not worthy to be son was wrong. He came to himself, but wasn't actually the the real version of himself, it was part of it. He kind of realized, this isn't who I'm called to be, but I'm not called to be that anymore either. Isn't that what we do to ourselves? We go through a difficult season. We came out of the house like, I got this. I can do it. I can handle it. And then we end up eating some pig food, and we go, well, I, man, I, maybe I don't got this. Maybe I need a Snickers bar. Somebody, anybody got a Snickers bar. But even in coming to that realization, we still look at ourselves and now, not, we don't look at ourselves as more than, we actually now look at ourselves as less than. We've now decided through the experiences of our life that we are no longer worthy to be called what God called us when we left the house. Wrestling with ourselves. See, the, the son didn't understand who he was before he left. And he didn't really understand who he was when he came back. He left the house with a misguided representation of who he was as a son. And he came back to the house with a misguided representation of who he was as a servant. In both cases, he was wrong. This is the challenge of trying to do all our own self-work by ourselves. This is, this is the challenge of trying to keep everything on the inside, doing it on our own. The challenge is that you lie to yourself. Or the challenge is, you're wrong. That what you think about yourself is not true. That what, the way you value yourself, mm-mm, nope, got it wrong. The way you look at yourself, 
That IG filter is not telling you everything. That's why we need people. That's why we need to sit down with someone once a week. That's why we we need to to, to sit around a dinner party, sit around a table. That's why we need friends. That's why we need people who look at us differently. In fact, if you really look through Scripture and you look at Paul's writings and you look at Jesus talking, what does they say? Jesus says something like, deny what? Yourself. Not deny others, like deny yourself. Now some of you are like, oh, that's really selfish. But if only if you have a weird, represent, weird perspective of who God is would you think that that's a bad... If you look at the Bible as moralistic things, then fine, yeah, you'll probably have a tough time with that one. But if you look at the Bible as the story of God redeeming his people, bringing them back to the Garden City, then you will realize that everything he tells you is for your good. Deny yourself. Because yourself lies to you. I know this is not popular. I get it. This will not be in the next magazine that shows up in your mailbox if you still do that. Paul says it in Galatians, it's not I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. Well, let me just make sure. I'm putting a little asterisk by these Bible verses. Not because I'm adding a footnote, because my, <laughs> I'm not telling you. I'm just, but the scope of Scripture is not one of saying deny yourself so you don't know yourself. It is to deny yourself so that you might discover yourself. Because it is in discovering who Jesus is. What does Paul say? It is in the mystery of Christ that you actually find out who you are. This journey of living out this life is one found in finding him. Because the son comes back to the father, and what does he do? He does the whole spiel. He's rehearsed it a thousand times. And he comes to his father, and he bows to the ground. And he says, I'm not worthy of being your son. I I have screwed up everything. I've wasted everything. I've given away everything. I've done everything you didn't want me to do. I even said to you, basically, in some sense of terms, go ahead and move on. From this world. I'm not worthy of being your son. Can you just make me your servant just so I can have a morsel? Just so I can have something more than pig slop? Maybe you've got a Snickers bar in the cabinet. I just, that's not, it's not who I am anymore. And the father grabs the son just like Jesus with Peter on the boat. When he says, I'm not worthy after all the fish showed up. Pull the fish in and Peter goes, this dude's different. He says, I'm not worthy to know you. And Jesus, what does Jesus do? Stand up. Because I've called you. I've called you and I've made you. I'm going to send you into the world. You're going to do something that's remembered for the rest of time. Oh, the father picks up the prodigal. See, this isn't really a story about the son. I know we've made it that. Prodigal son, not really. As one author says, uh, we shouldn't call it the prodigal son. We should call it prodigal love. We should call it the love of a father who no matter what, never and ever, 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 ever will he ever forget the way he loves you. And when you think you are not worthy, he will see you and he will pick you up off the ground and he will say to you, put the shoes on, put the robe on, put the crown on. What has been ruined, I will restore. What has been devastated, I will bring back. I will give you I will give you beauty instead of ashes, garments of praise instead of mourning. I will give you the oil of joy instead of despair. I am coming to bring life, not condemnation, not death. I've come to defeat death. 
really interesting phrase considering what, what we've been praying through. But he, Father says, put on the shoes. Put on the shoes. There's this old um, spiritual sung by slaves as a form of protest. They had, to, uh, they had to kind of make the words hidden, the mystery hidden of what they're singing. But they all knew what they were singing. You should look it up. It's been redone multiple, multiple times. And it's talked about, that. uh, it's called, uh, We All Got Shoes. Because for slaves, they they wouldn't have, it would have been very, very difficult to get shoes. In fact, one of the lines says, all the people think they're, all the people talking about heaven aren't going there. But it says this, it simply says this, I got shoes, you got shoes. All of God's children got shoes. When I get to heaven, going to put on my shoes. I'm going to walk all over God's heaven. See, the putting on the shoes and the robe was what God came to do in the earth. His form of justice is to bring people up, not bring people down. It is to restore and bring back. And, and, and the father picks up the son and says, you don't know who you are. Quit trying to define yourself. I know Socrates said, though thyself. I know Plato carried it on. I know today in modern terms we say it all day long. Know thyself. I get all that. But I'm trying to tell you, you don't fully understand who you are and you keep tripping over your own definitions. You only know yourself when you come into the grips of me. You only fully understand who you are when you come into a place where you're held by me. Frank Crouch says this, we have an astounding capacity to talk ourselves out of new creation, both in our individual lives and in our communities of faith. Like the prodigal son in the middle of his story, we often squander our possibilities, turn away from the feast set out by the God of grace and settle for the pods the pigs are eating. The season of Lent, or any season really, calls on us to hear Paul's proclamation anew, to open ourselves to new possibilities, new creation, whatever that might mean. What is he referencing? He's referencing the the verse that DeAndre read so beautifully, that we no longer look upon ourselves in human terms. We do not, like Brett Hume says, we do not look at the perceptions of ourselves or the perceptions of other people and view them according to our own human definitions of what it is to be human. We now look at people as though we are new creations in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Quit defining yourself by what you think you are and define yourself by the God who embraces you no matter where you've been. This is how, it's the most important definition we could ever offer to anyone. It is not the church's definition of people. It is not our own uh, 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 psychotherapy definition of people. It is not that. It is this view, that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. That is the view. It is the only view that matters. And it is not a view you and I could make on ourselves or do ourselves. And that is the other part of the problem. Because we don't like that. We would much rather do it ourselves. We would much rather define our own self. And there's some beauty in that. Like, 
God's given you creativity and he's given you heartbeat and a desire and he's given you wants and callings. You guys have a calling. There's something in your life that is put there for a reason. But understand, the view God has of you is so, so different. You might be the son leaving the house thinking you've got it all. And God's going, nope, you're wrong. You might be the son looking like a servant, saying, no, 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 I'm a servant. I've, I've, I've squandered it all. I, I'm not worthy of it. And God's going, nope, wrong again. Because what does the father say about the son? He looks the servants, he looks at his son, he looks at his family, and he looks at him and he says what? He says, my son who was dead. He was dead. Was he really dead? No. Jesus knew that. It was his story. He made it up. Was he really dead? No, but sin, the wages of sin are, and that doesn't mean like, oh, I'm going to come kill you. It means that the longer we stay in some of these same things, we've moved further and further away of what God's called you to. It, why do we live in this retributive thing where, where God's somehow chasing us down with a bat to get us for all the things we did? No, this is a story of God standing there waiting. And the moment he shows up, he doesn't go tell someone else that you got to pay for that. And you got No, he looks at the son and says, I see you differently. You've defined yourself wrong your whole life. You've lived in my house your whole life. And you've defined yourself wrong. Maybe it was someone else who defined it for you. Or maybe it's what someone else said that has made you define yourself this way. But you have gotten it wrong. I'm telling you, you've gotten it wrong. Yeah, you lived comfortably and you had it together and that's all awesome, but you didn't fully understand the embrace. You didn't fully understand the definition. You didn't fully get it. And it was only through going through death that he understood what life really was. It's my son who was lost, is found. Do you think that son wore those sandals the same way? Do you think he walked around in that robe the same way? Do you think he ate the fatted calf the same way? No. He ate it like a son, like a child of God who had realized everything he thought up to this point wasn't enough. It wasn't the full definition. But God looked at him and said, you are my son. The only self that matters is the self that is found in the arms of the Savior. so much so much crap that gets thrown at you and I on a regular basis and let's be really honest a lot of it's thrown at us by ourselves it's like we're throwing a ball at a wall and hoping it bounces back and hits us right between the eyes we just keep doing it we keep doing it we keep doing it how long do you think the sun took to put the robe on how long do you think the son took to put those new shoes on? How long do you think the son took to go eat? Some of us are still trying to decide if we're the son or the, the servant. Neither one of those definitions, because we made the definition, is really that correct. Father says, oh, I know you died. I know, I know, I know. I know you died. I know. It's been death. It, dry bones and all. I get it. 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 
need to understand something. You have been made alive in Christ Jesus. And there is no definition you could ever give yourself that is better than the definition God gives you right now. Why is the Bible so important? Not because it tells you what's right and wrong. It tells you who He is. And when you discover who He is, it tells you everything you need to know about thyself. God's working in the room right now. Holy Spirit's shifting and moving some things in your heart. God's Holy Spirit's setting some of you free. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. It's done. Please don't carry the pig pen home with you. Don't carry it to your father's house. It doesn't belong there. I speak against every single lie, every single deception, every single issue, every single version of self. That isn't true. Self-image, self-esteem, ideal self, whichever one. And I define it by the name of Jesus. bow your heads and um, actually why don't you stand up stand up and bow your heads I don't know how joyful is the one who knows that their transgressions have been forgiven and their sins have been covered over how joyful is the one who knows that God holds no iniquity against you he has forgiven you and set you free. How joyful is the one. You might be the son. You're going, oh, I got it all together. <laughs> God, give me what I want because I'm going to go take it and make it more. Okay, you're wrong. You might be the, one, the son who's looking like a servant who says, I, I, I don't even deserve to eat at the table anymore. I don't deserve the robes. I don't deserve the sandals. Okay wrong because all things have been made new and you may have died but you have been brought back to life in Jesus name you may have been lost but you have been found in Jesus name and no longer do you stay carrying around a pig pen just in case just in case when you get home God says nah no, don't do that anymore. Some of you, some of you are in, in places that have been ruined because of bad definitions of self. God is calling you out of those places and saying, I will restore what has been devastated. I will give beauty instead of ashes. I will give garments of praise instead of despair. I will give oil of joy instead of mourning. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm not going to pray that it happens. I'm going to ask you to step out so, so that you know it's already happened. Some of you today, I, I, again, we don't always do this. We don't always do the altar call thing. Some of you grow up in church, you know what that means. Some of you didn't. And you don't know what that means. It just means that this place is sacred. This moment is sacred. And this moment is an opportunity for people to step out. And so I'm going to ask you to do this because I'm going to do this together. I don't, want, I don't want to do this alone. 
Don't you let one person walk by themselves. But I want you, if you're, if you're saying, you know what? You know what? I'm putting on the robe today. I'm putting on the sandals. I, I'm eating the fatted calf. I, I, I am, I am, I'm stepping out of the false definitions of self. I have tried to know thyself for a really long time, and I'm moving on from it. I'm only being defined by the words of God over my life. I'm being defined by the goodness of my Creator. I'm being defined by the arms that were spread wide upon a cross as a forgiven son and daughter of the King. I'm being defined by the things the Holy Spirit is bringing to remembrance that nothing can separate me from the love that is in Christ Jesus. So if that's you today and you want to just kind of make a declaration, a strong one, that says, I will not, I will not, I will not carry this pig pen anymore. I will not, I will not, I will not carry around a definition that is false. And it might be over your marriage. It might be over just yourself. It might be over a family thing, whatever it is. So I'm going to ask you this right now. And then we're going to sing. And we're going to sing while you're standing in the middle of this room. And everyone who doesn't come forward is going to pray over you because we are the body of Christ. We are a family. We do not do things on our own. So today, if you're walking away from the false definitions of self and you're stepping into the fullness of the defining grace of God and saying, I'm going to eat of the feast. I'm going to step into the robe. I'm going to walk in the newness of life that comes by knowing Jesus and all that he has done. No longer will I live by old definitions. If that's you, I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to do it in you today. Something is going to shift and change in your life because you took a step. Would you just right now, would you just step into the middle of the room? Would you just step out of your seat? Would you just come to the front if that's you today? You're going to live by a different version of yourself. You're going to live by the self that God defines you. You might need to go grab your husband, your wife. You might need to walk up with a friend. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So good. Anybody else? If you got a friend up here, you can come stand with him. Anybody else, just stand up. And we're just going to sing this song. And if you go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm done with the old verse. I, maybe I need to expand this, and I'll just say this. If you've been trying to define yourself by yourself for far too long, this is your moment to walk into the embrace of a Father who will pick you up and say to you, I've got a calling for your life. You are now my ambassadors because you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We no longer look at you or others or yourself in a human way. We look at it through the eyes of Christ. In Jesus' name.